Welcome to the College Sports Insider, presented to you by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. So, if you're paying attention to the world, certainly of college athletics, you have recently seen terms such as equity and diversity and inclusion, and you may well be asking yourself, what does that mean in the context of student-athletes and college athletics? Well, we're delighted to have somebody with us who's going to answer all of those questions for us. Uh, Catrice Albert is the NCA Executive Vice President of Inclusion and Human Resources, has been since 2017, and we're delighted to have her here with us. Catrice, welcome. Thank you so much, Jack. So I want to get to all of those concepts and what they all mean and how they're interwoven and how they are now appearing on the, the college athletics landscape and the role that they're playing. Before we do that, so people understand, I want to talk a little bit about you and your background and how you got here sure. to the NCAA because you've, you have a, a varied and fascinating background. So uh, start off, maybe work your way backwards, okay. if you would. From 2017, you came here. Tell us where you were before that and, and what you were doing that ultimately brought you to Indianapolis. Sure, sure. Thank you so much for having me. So prior to my arrival at the national office for the NCAA, I served five years at the University of Minnesota mm-hmm. uh, as their system's chief diversity officer and vice president for equity and diversity. I had a really good experience at at Minnesota and their five campuses. Prior to that, 15 years at Louisiana State University in my home state as Vice Provost for Equity, Diversity, and Community Outreach. Prior to that, I was at Boston Medical Center and doing a residency related to um, becoming a top-notch psychologist uh, committed to Um, those who were marginalized and how we best do therapy with um, people of color, women, and those that have differing dynamics other than the traditional folks who see therapy as a way forward. Um, I took a PhD from Auburn University in Alabama uh, in counseling psychology, a master's in counseling psychology from the University of Southern Mississippi, And my undergraduate degree uh, is from Xavier University uh, in New Orleans, so the only historically black Catholic college in the Western Hemisphere. Yes, with a great reputation still, as a matter of fact. Yes. So with with all of that early exposure and and accomplishment in in the, the various realms that you've described, you could have gotten a lot of different directions. Sure. Why did you end up eventually in the direction that you have traveled along the path of of equity and diversity and inclusion? Sure. Sure. Well, I tell people that I've been a diversity officer since I was a sixth grader. (laughs) Um, And And how did that happen? And so at the time, uh, I went to my principal, sort of feigning ignorance, wondering what would we do to celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday? Uh, and with very wide eyes, he said, you know what, Catrice, whatever you'd like to do. Mm. So it was my first opportunity at organizational change. Although, we, I, although I would guess that in the future, you didn't have that response every time you went to somebody <laughs> about saying, here's what I'd like to do. And they'd say to you, whatever, whatever you want like to, to do. do. Right. We don't care what it costs. or Whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to do, Catrice, you go ahead and do it. So That's it set right. sort of standards that were going to be tough to live up to <laughs> in sixth grade. 
Well, and he was very generous mm-hmm. as we had not a plan. And so I planned a, a Catholic mass. And because Dr. King was committed to community, I said, well, you know, certainly would, we would want a day of service. And again, sort of the first opportunity at organizational change. Fast forward to my doctoral program, and I had the opportunity to be a graduate assistant in the Office of Multicultural Affairs, working with diverse populations, especially around mentoring uh, and having them feel like a sense of belonging at Auburn University. Uh, And so that was really the first taste of inclusion work and inclusive excellence work because we definitely wanted those students to um, be top-notch in their academics, in their leadership development, and to have a good time while they were in college. Mm -hmm. So let's, for some context, let's focus on some definitions. Sure. I suspect uh, there would be a lot of people who would say, well, what's the difference between equity and diversity and inclusion. So let me ask you to to don your professorial robes here (laughs) and explain to us the difference of of those three terms. Right. So when we talk diversity, we're talking about um, the numbers game, if you will. It's whether or not um, campuses are really focused in on making sure that they bring to campus a diverse incoming class. So many campuses are just starting. Uh, Today might be the first day. The question becomes, have we done the right um, metrics around bringing a very diverse class so that people get to interact with folks who are not their mirror images? Mm -hmm. Um, Inclusion is making sure that everyone has a voice at the table, right? So that um, inclusive excellence is really about being thoughtful of whether or not we bring everybody to the table. So when a decision is made, have we left anybody off so that unintended consequences don't happen? It's bringing our very best selves to the table to make sure everyone has a voice. Equity is giving people what they need to succeed. So what I need to succeed might not be what you need to succeed, Jack, but we want success for everyone. And Equity issues mean means that we're going to be thinking about the things that people need in order to succeed, and it might not be the same thing. Is it fair to look at it this way, or accurate, better way to put it, is it accurate to look at it this way, that diversity, as you said, is the, the numbers. Right. And that's not the end game. That it's almost a, a, a progression, perhaps. You established diversity. Now you need to take those numbers and, 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 and in some way, shape, or form, make sure you are now embracing inclusion. Those right. people are, are participating, equity, uh, all of those things. So it, it, it is a, a progression a fairly reasonable visual for this? It is very reasonable. Um, I think that diversity is like your benchmark. Mm-hmm. It's your baseline. These are the things that we have to do, especially for campuses that – Uh, receive federal funding. We've got to be able to bring uh, a diverse class. We've got to have diverse faculty. The progression is inclusion. Are those folks able to be at the table to have a voice? And then those folks can be able to say, look, we need equity here. We need to make sure that people get what they need in order to succeed. So your, your metaphor is spot on related to 
of progression? We see often, and this is not getting into yet what you're doing here at the NCA, but just in, in terms of some general ideas and concepts. Um, I, I, I see oftentimes people saying, we on college campuses have never been more diverse, and yet we seem to never have been more polarized. Sure. Now, I don't know if that's accurate or not. I grew up, I was in college in the late 60s and the early 70s. So we're going through the civil rights movement. Uh, I'm at Yale where it was a very activist community, um, civil rights movement, the anti-Vietnam War movement, and there was significant polarization there. But we didn't have quite the diversity sure. that, that we have now. Is, do you, is that accurate? Do you see it that way, that the notion that we've never been more diverse and yet we are still troublingly polarized? Well, I'll be honest. A lot of campuses have moved towards claiming victory on their most diverse class ever in the history of the institution, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's some of our college campuses. Others are still growing, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of their diversity numbers and making sure that people feel comfortable on campus. I agree with you. There's a lot of polarization going. We're not listening to one another mm -hmm. um, very effectively. Uh, I think that um, the college campuses are the places where, you know, young people and, well, actually people of all ages can come together and have these really critical, difficult conversations. Those are the places where social justice activity, activism, and accountability have historically happened. But you're right. Our campuses seem to, seem to have a level of polarization now that um, we've not had in the past. I do believe that there's more um, intensity around making sure that we are more politically correct. And I think so people have some levels of trepidation of having these really frank discussions. And my challenge is that these are the places where we should be having these sorts of conversations, where there's safety, right? Mm -hmm. Where you know that your classmate may not have grown up in the same four corners that you did, but you are able to be a window for those folks who are from rural America if you're from urban America, right? Or that you have a roommate who might be an international student. So being able to have some levels of vulnerability, right? But then also the courage to have these critical conversations that are so needed. It's interesting. I've, I've taught at Yale for the last 12 years an undergraduate seminar about famous trials. So we yeah. look at race in the courtroom. We look at celebrity in the courtroom, politics in the courtroom, religion in the courtroom. But I, I've seen in, that, in those 12 years that, it, and I talk to my students about this, small seminar, it's become more difficult, mm -hmm. as you said, to have those conversations, even as when you look at the numbers, you know, numbers are rising, yes. in some cases dramatically. So for for what you're doing, let me let me sort of jump ahead from what you did before at LSU at Minnesota System, and bring you now to the NCA. So you've gone from a a, um, a if if you would a venue mm -hmm. that was a, sort of an overall academic institution, higher education institution. You've now come to a place that has it has the trappings of higher ed institution, but it's focusing on on college athletics, on student athletes. What drew you here? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that I know that this might sound hokey and people who are at the national office always say this line, but mm -hmm. there is a passion around college athletics. 
Um, and I grew up in a state where, you know, it's food, it's yeah, football, yeah, exactly. it's, it's faith. No, I think it was football. It's family. <laughs> it's probably, and not in that order. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to move. Up. I'll keep faith and family up there, but I might move football ahead of food for you in, in LSU yeah. and, and some of those other football playing schools in yes. Louisiana. Yes. And so I was the person who often extended the olive branch because there is something unique about sport where we are able to. Um, have higher levels of commitment to others, right? And so I think that the the work of inclusion is already aligned. Um, over the history of time, we know that sport has really been a vehicle for social justice movements. So this was sort it was like a a, a transition um, where the passion and the purpose were divinely aligned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the work is really about making sure that um, the, the 500,000 student-athletes, our greatest assets, have access and opportunity to um, a college degree, but then also to be able to compete in cultures where they feel um, necessary and vital and where they they feel a sense of belonging. So the work is really about shepherding our 1,200 member institutions around these notions of inclusion and that you can't have an excellent institution without it being inclusive. Talk about the the history of this and the the notion of universities saying, we want to focus on this. Again, I'll go back to my late 60s, early 70s. Um, I go to Yale. I'm the product of of a single mother, raised by a single mother. Father disappeared on us when I was five years old. So I I get up to Yale. I'm on a full scholarship. I'm playing football. uh, I'm sweeping floors. I'm tending bar. I'm doing whatever I have to do to get through. And I get there, and, and I'm the lowest socioeconomic group mm-hmm. at a time when the Ivy Leagues were, were still, I, I think, predominantly private school kids. It must, might be close. Uh, my first year there, uh, two years there, we were still all male institution. But there was no, you know, no, no particular department or entity that would be involved with the idea of saying, let's, let's foster diversity and then let's embrace the people that, that are here. And I'm not trying to equate my situation with some others that are much more difficult. But the point was there was nothing there, nothing official or formal. When did that start? When do you think on college campuses we started seeing? And then in a minute I'm going to get to what you want to do here at the NCAA. But let's just start on college campuses. When and why do you think they started saying we need something official Yes. Yeah, uh, that's a very good question, Jack. And I think that it started more in the academic side of the house, Mm -hmm. right, where um, there was a push for an understanding around ethnic um, ethnic education. So when uh, African American studies departments were being formed and Asian American studies departments were being formed, this was sort of at the heart of when you were in college mm-hmm. to be able to say there there is a there is a critique and a literature out here about cultural studies. And so those departments were formed. From those departments came faculty who said, and our students are being drawn to these types of classes because they need the support on our college campuses to be able to thrive. So that we needed something more official on the administrative side of the house to support our students who were first-generation college students those from culturally diverse backgrounds, 
those from lower socioeconomic status backgrounds. So our faculty really drove um, the administrative side of the house to say, you know, we need student affairs and academic affairs to have a brain trust around how do we support these students who are first generation with no roadmap. Their parents couldn't tell them where to, you know, where to go for resources or how do you get a mentor or when you're struggling, you know, it's okay to say you need tutoring because they are the first in their family to go and they're just supposed to know all of the answers. So I think it was from the academic side of the house where cultural studies disciplines were being formed, those faculty said our students need more support on the administrative side of the house. So let's talk about uh, your presence here at the NCA. Yes. And, and again, using those those three categories, if we would, of equity, diversity, and, and, and inclusion, what are some of the things you're hopeful of, of doing here at the NCAA that, that can lend themselves to improvement in those areas? Yeah, there's so much fervor and vigor around these topics with um, our Board of Governors, with our student-athletes, and with our presidents. Um, I am very hopeful that we will be able to future-proof the industry, Jack. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that we are able to encourage our student-athletes to see future careers mm -hmm. in college athletics, be it in, in the departments with all of the variety of job titles that you can have in departments of athletics or head coaches. So our student-athletes see themselves reflected. Um, we want to make sure that our presidents and our directors of athletics are hiring diverse coaching staffs so that there are mirror images to serve as mentors and role models. We also hope that those diverse head coaches get to the head coaching ranks or move and succeed into um, administrative roles in departments of athletics. We want to help um, have people think about uh, the senior woman administrator role as a significant role to have the female voice at the table. To because be. I know, you, and speaking of that, I, I've spoken to, on our podcast here, women who've been in those roles, That's and they right. talked about how early on it was as if somebody said, well, let's just create a title. Just to make it, so it looks like I don't want to, I don't mean to make it sound sinister, but it just create a title and make it look like we have somebody there. But basically, there's nothing there there. But now there is with, right. with, with that position. And you, you think that can be a, a vehicle then? I think it's a vehicle for um, top notch women administrators to be able to, you know, show their skill set and um, also have a voice at the table for Title IX and gender dynamics in uh, departments of athletics. And the ways in which um, these SWAs can get more in their portfolio so as they grow their career to hit, coach, hit um, de department heads of mm -hmm. departments of athletics, they have had all of the training, right, through that very significant um, co contribution as the SWA. I know that, that you're just sort of settling in here. <laughs> and the, the, the NCAA, and, and I, I, I have great respect for the institution. 
but one of the things I, I say to people oftentimes as a consequence of you know, my having been involved for more than a decade on various levels is that people have to understand what it is. Yes. It's an umbrella organization. We talk about this often, 1,100 or so member institutions, you know, various governing approaches, uh, three different divisions, so things don't happen quickly. Yes. And, and generally speaking, that's probably not a bad idea. Um, but people have to understand they don't happen quickly. That being said, are you seeing a, a, a willingness to embrace some of the ideas that you're talking about here on the part of, of member institutions and a willingness to say, all right, this might require an investment by us of resources and finances and certainly time and inclination, but are you seeing a willingness to get yeah, on board? I am pleasantly surprised about... Um, um, my colleagues' um, urgency around mm -hmm. these topics. Uh, you're absolutely right. I was coached out of not actually coming to this role mm -hmm. because of the slow glacial pace that things happen in an umbrella association. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and many of my friends said, Catrice, you move too fast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not going to be happy in this role. But I mm -hmm. am pleasantly surprised mm -hmm. with the colleagues across the association really wanting to get their arms around um, having a more accelerated pace uh, for these topics because our student athletes deserve us, mm -hmm. right? And they deserve our ver very best selves of being thoughtful about these topics of how we future-proof the industry, of how we hire, of how we create departments of athletics with a culture of belonging where everyone feels like their institution belongs to them. So our presidents are on board, our, you know, our membership um, committees are on board. We do have a board of governors committee to promote cultural diversity and mm -hmm. equity, and they are at the point of um, creating measurable goals where we are able to say this is not just kumbaya work. Mm -hmm. We will claim victory on these goals that we have for our association around diversity and equity. So you're seeing progress? I, yes. Yeah. Yes. The short answer is yes. Do you think, last question for you, and this might sound fairly utopian, but do you envision a time where there might not be a need for inclusion officers, diversity officers, uh, that it might be, be something of an archaic notion of a time in the past when we had to really focus on this? Or, or as I said, is, is that a fairly utopian vision? I would love to work myself out of a job. <laughs> Not right away, though. I would love Not right to away. work. You just got settled in here. People are just getting to know you. They don't want you to leave. Yeah, so I am very hopeful. So this mm -hmm. work requires a lot of hope and a, and a lot of investment of celebrating the small victories um, because the small victories really matter. They become the vic big victories. Mm -hmm. I do believe that, you know, if we are all able to say equity, diversity, inclusion, that's everybody's everyday work, then I work myself out of a role. Um, we have resistors. So I am the person to have a, a political savvy, mm -hmm. know-how, a skill set, and to say I'll be locked arm in arm with you to meet you where you are so that our student athletes have access, opportunity, and uh, college Athletics departments where they feel like they belong. 
Well, it, this has been a fabulous discussion. Catrice, I want to thank you for spending some time with us. It, it, it's such an interesting field and an evolving field, obviously, but yes. such a necessary field to have. So uh, thank you for spending some time with us and, and helping us understand all this. Maybe we'll talk again down the road and see what kind of progress is being made. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So that does it for this episode of the College Sports Insider. Once again, we want to thank our guest, Catrice Albert, the NCAA Executive Vice President of Inclusion and Human Resources, for joining us today. Uh, that does it for us for today. I'm Jack Ford. We will look forward to seeing you back with us again real soon. 